Hello everyone and welcome to a new edition of Thinking Aloud about film. Today we're going to be talking about the Hippodrome Silent Film Festival, which I've sadly missed this year. I did have a tour last year and it was amazing. So Richard, you went. So tell me a little bit about what is HipFest. We talked in quite a bit of detail last year and I guess we can link to that that podcast which gives gives the background but just in to quickly summarize it so a, a festival of silent cinema with music held in Bowness which is a small town about 30 miles from Edinburgh it runs over five days every year has a, a surprisingly varied program including stuff that appeals to the local community and, and and families with, with small children and some very interesting presentations about the history of silent cinema and some kind of crowd-pleasing things like the man who laughs or shooting stars you know very well-known stuff but also some quite interesting obscurities so chinese melodramas ukrainian documentaries that kind of thing it strikes me in a way as a kind of a, a dream of social cultural engagement in the sense that you know this festival has an address you know to what is really a small town the town participates and and benefits from all of this and on the other hand it's also a really specialized choice program that brings in specialists really from all over the world that's right yeah uh, this year there were speakers from from the united states from from san francisco and, and, and elsewhere but also visitors from the United States, from Canada, from from Ukraine. It's a very interesting audience. And as you say, there, there, there are events that appeal to the local community. I mean, not just Bowness, but the towns around that. Um, and also kind of outreach to that community. So there are there's an annual event, for instance, where um, local school children compose scores for, for short silent films. And it's stuff like that is, is very interesting and, and I think you wouldn't necessarily get at a lot of festivals. Mm. One of the things that's really impressed me is that post-COVID, they've still maintained a live stream element to the programming. And I wonder if, uh, if you could comment on it. I, I'm sure you didn't see it live stream, but I'm sure you, you saw uh, parts of the program, either on the Serial Queens or on Maurice Tourneur or on the dogs i didn't actually see any of those <laughs> i'm afraid because those ones i think were, were live streamed but not done okay in person there were other ones that were both live streamed and done in person so a, a presentation by david cairns about um facial differences and disability in in, in silent cinema and some of the films were, were live streamed so i think the bluebird was was live streamed with the score for instance so I, I agree with you that that's because i think a lot of festivals did some great stuff during covid of of making content available online but a lot of them like bologna for instance richard, richard Vartu in bologna um has just completely stopped that now uh, i think Pordenoni also has carried on the online streaming uh because you know there's, there's a lot of people who for whatever reason, are not able to go in person to these events, either financial or health or, or whatever. And it's great to keep them accessible, I think. Yes, no, it's, it's wonderful. What were this year's highlights to you? Quite a few varied ones. I think the, the absolute highlight was the, the Ukrainian documentary in spring. 
having the opportunity to see some really well-known silent films that I've never got around to seeing. So Man Who Laughs and, and Shooting Stars, it's an ideal way to see those. A couple of very good comedy rediscoveries, some animal films. So re- there was a Rin Tin Tin film. I'd never seen a Rin Tin Tin uh-huh. film before. That was fascinating. Tell me uh, tell me a little bit about this Rin Tin Tin film, because, of course, I've read so much about Rin Tin Tin, but I don't think yeah. I've ever seen a Rin Tin Tin film either. No, exactly. It's fascinating. So it was called uh, Where the North Begins, and it, it was Rin Tin Tin's first starring role. What surprised me, I was expecting it to be like a heartwarming film like Lassie or something, uh-huh. but, you know, actually Rin Tin Tin was a vicious little fucker, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> so he or he was acting, very convincingly acting that part. He's brought up by... He, he, abandoned as a puppy brought up by wolves it's a bit like tarzan um and then, then it's adopted by by this um fur trader who who is then accused by the villains of stealing furs the climax of the film he kills the two villains basically by leaping on them and ripping their throats oh out you don't you don't actually see that happen but it's very clear that's what's supposed to be happening and then he he runs off and you i, I assume this was going to be the end that he you know, he, he, he wanders off into the wilderness to his next adventure. But no, he, he, he disappears and then sometime later comes back, followed by his eight puppies and a beautiful lady dog. So yeah, basically it's a film about a dog who kills two people, savagely kills two people and then celebrates by going out and having sex, which is not what I expected at all. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so what were some of the other highlights? I note that... Neil Brand was there. Neil Brand accompanied three events, two of which I saw. So for, for the first was a, a couple of short films starring Charlie Chase, so sort of slapstick comedian, which then this was one of the, the sort of weekend morning sessions that, that appeals to families. And that, that was very fun. But the other thing he accompanied was a, a film I'd never heard of called What, what Happened to Jones, which was a, a kind of slapstick feature. And unlike a lot of slapstick silent comedies it was actually funny yeah. <laughs> um this this starred a guy called uh, reginald denny uh-huh. who I, I not not a name i was familiar with and he, he was very good and he, he plays this he, he's about to get married outside his class and he but then he's gambling and his home's raided there's a series of very amusing comedy situations that escalate out of control I mean, basically it's a farce but it but it was great fun and I, i'd never heard of this guy and so i looked him up afterwards expect because you kind of expect if there's a silent comedian you've, you've not heard of there's going to have been some violent death or scandal or something but no he he with the advent of sound he went on to be a character actor he carried on working till uh, 1967 which is the, the year he died and was married to the same woman for for sort of 40 or 50 years. He, he and realised afterwards, because everyone was saying, I don't think you've ever seen a Reginald Denny film seen before. But, but you have, because yeah. he's, he's in Rebecca. Yeah. yeah, he's a very familiar name. Was there not also a Laurel and Hardy programme? Yeah, so Laurel and Hardy Double Bill, which is always a hugely popular event with, with local families, uh, accompanied by Meg Morley. Uh-huh. And that, that was, again, too, too short. So Angora Love, which is one where they... Get accompanied home by a dog, by a goat, which actually has an identical ending to the Rin Tin Tin film because the goat has a load of babies at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that although they're not organised as strands, you can identify these links between the films that way. Did you see the Bluebird? I always wanted to and have never had the opportunity. I 
I did. It's a very, very strange film. That was the opening gala. It's a bit like The Wizard of Oz in that uh, you know, these two Shirley Temple did a 1940 a, remake. So. <laughs> a, a, exactly, which was apparently a bit of a consolation prize for her studio not releasing her to do The Wizard of Oz. Uh. Um, so yeah, these two children go on, go on a quest accompanied by various household objects that turn into people. So the loaf of bread turns into a bread man and the sugar loaf turns into sugar woman or something. And they, they, they go off on this quest for the blue bird of happiness, but it's really, really strange. I mean, at one point they, um, they, they meet, meet up with their dead grandparents who are living in this house in a graveyard. Um, and they chat to the dead grandparents for a bit. And then the girl says, but where are our brothers and sisters? Are they here? Mm. So yes, they're, they're here living with us and all of their dead siblings. It's like <laughs> eight dead siblings come downstairs and they, they all have a, a kind of nice um, meal together. Then they meet a load of children who are children yet to be born, who are just kind of hanging around waiting for this mysterious boat to come and transport them to their birth. It's, it's very, very odd. Um, strange dreamlike quality. I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was particularly good, but it, it's fascinating to watch. Ah. I, I know that the program has something on the only woman animator. Yeah, that was really fascinating. This was a presentation by Mindy Johnson, who's already done a lot of research on the contribution of women to to Disney in the, the early days. So women in Disney were doing colouring. Men did the did the outlines, women did the colouring and shading. Her research showed that actually that contribution was far more artistically significant than conventional wisdom would have it. So, you know, con conventional wisdom was that men created the films and the women just did some colouring in and that's, that's really not what she found. During that research she became aware of this woman called Bessie May Kelly. She saw a vaudeville billing and it said Bessie May Kelly, the only woman animator. So that's hence the title of the presentation. The point was she wasn't the only woman animator, but she called herself the only mm. woman animator. And she she had directed films. She'd co-directed films. So she'd worked with um, to what actually Walt Disney had worked with her rather than her working with Walt Disney. She'd worked with Max Fleischer, people like that. So she and she was in a senior position in a studio. She did created and directed a lot of stuff. She also actually appears in um, one of the Max Fleischer Out of the Ink Pot films, has a live action sequence where there's a group of people in the studio having Thanksgiving dinner, one of which is a woman who had, hadn't been previously identified. And it was thought, oh, yeah, she she must be the cleaning woman in the studio or something because no because no women were involved in animation. But actually, no, this, this was Bessie May, May Kelly, who was a significant figure in animation, mm. it, it transpires. And so it was fascinating. It was kind of a bit of a trailer for this research. Um, only the second time she'd given this presentation, the first time was to the to the Academy, as in the as in the Oscars uh -huh. Academy. Uh, so it's a real privilege to see it. And, and uh, I, she was a bit unclear what this is going to lead to. Maybe it'll be a book. Maybe it'll be a film. Maybe both. But uh, sort of fascinating to look out for. It's very interesting as well because it jives with. Ross, uh, part of an argument that Rosalind Galt makes in her book called The Pretty, where, you know, there is, well, she says these terms in aesthetics are gendered, right? And, you know, and they're gendered, like, from the very beginning of discussions on aesthetics. And one of the key differences uh, is between diseño 
and colore. <laughs> so mm -hmm. between design and color, yeah. So kind of design okay. is valued, but kind of coloring is not. It's seen as feminine and frilly and yeah, right. dec decorative, right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. So it's interesting. That's that's fascinating because that's exactly what happened in Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, excellent. Now, one of the things is um, it had a real kind of slate of uh, performers and speakers, uh, you know, going right from you know the BFI to a whole series of uh, four names that I don't recognize: uh, Gunter Buchwald, uh, Roxana Smirnova. Uh, what were your highlights of the performers or speakers? So, I mean, in terms of speakers, one of the other ones that was a real highlight was this session called uh, The Accidental Anthropologist by Kathy Rose O'Regan. So Kathy is Irish, but now lives in San Francisco, works on the San Francisco Silent Film Festival. Um, this was about a series of films made by, um, I think, a, a Canadian anthropologist who was in Ireland in 1922 to, to 26. Uh, he's, sorry, he was an ornithologist. He was in Ireland from 1922 to 1926. He brought a 35mm camera with him to film bird life, but then a lot of the time was pointing his camera at, at people. And what was interesting about this is that there's very, very little moving picture footage of ordinary life in the Republic of Ireland during that period, which was sort of a very key period in Irish history. Somebody referred to the fact that the, this, this Canadian or American was in Ireland in 1922 and he filmed a dog smoking a pipe. And that, that was all they had to go on. And through detective work, they tracked it down to this ornithologist who was there with the camera. They found that his films, was, nitrate films, were stored with his collection just in, in a basement in a science museum. So those have now been, you know, scanned and restored and are now in in a, in a film archive so yeah it's a, a sort of fascinating bit of social history mm. um let's return to you know other highlights because you know mm. i'm sure that you've seen a lot that i probably haven't asked you about yeah so what were some of the others two others i talk about one maybe three one was a film called the silent enemy from 1930 uh which was um, about native americans and it was a semi-documentary let's say a bit like the nuke of the north so actually not a documentary at all but purporting to be a documentary film with an entirely native american cast apparently but but not it turns out so the, this was about you know this tribe of native americans the silent enemy is hunger they're moving from their traditional tribal lands to find animals to hunt there is a a lot of animal cruelty which was warned about in the program and in the in the preceding introduction because the, but most of that is hunting so you know um the behind the scenes story is 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 fascinating so the the two leads are chauncey yellow robe who plays the the, the older chief of the, of the tribe and then chief buffalo child long lance who is a young hunter who then becomes chief at the end during the course of the film Yellow Robe became suspicious of Long Lance's stories of his upbringing as a Cherokee um, and started to suspect that he wasn't actually who he said he was um, and reported this to the producers of the film. It later transpired that he wasn't, Long Lance wasn't Native American. He met, it appears he was 
probably had some Native American her heritage, um, but also part, part African-American heritage and part white American heritage. Now, he clearly was claiming Native American heritage because at that point, as a Native American, there was no segregation. Um, and he, he had opportunities open to him, opportunities for, for education, opportunities for employment, and being fated by um, you know, rich people in, in, in wherever he was living as a Native American that he would get as an African American. And when people found that, oh my God, we've had, we, have, we haven't had a Native American in our home, we've had a, <laughs> an African American at home, oh my God, he, every, everything fell apart. And his, you know, within a few years of the film, he, his life had fallen apart and he, he ended up killing himself. Yeah. It was sort of a, an interesting film, but actually when you read up on the story afterwards, it, it's a, a fascinating story, which would actually make a really interesting film itself. Yeah. Another highlight, there's a, a comedy called His Majesty the Barber, which was ah, a, yes. a Swedish screwball comedy. And this is a bit of a rediscovery. So it was shown in Pordenoni this year, or last year, sorry, as part of a series around uh, Ruritanian films. And it went down so well that it was brought to Hipfest as well. And apparently the, the Swedish film archive where it came from said that there's only ever been two requests for the film to come out of the archive. One was Pordenoni and one was Hipfest. So, you know, this, this is very little seen. There's, a, there's an elderly barber who's got a grandson or, or possibly a ward who comes back from university and also wants to be a barber and he falls in love with a woman, et cetera, et cetera. It transpires that the elderly barber and the grandson are both from the Republic of Tyrrhenia, which is this kind of Ruritanian place where the king was overthrown 20 years ago. It then later transpires that the boy is actually the rightful heir to the to the throne yeah, of Tyrrhenia, and the the barber knows this, and the boy doesn't. And it, there's various complications ensue. I won't give away the ending because I mean, hopefully this this will get shown elsewhere. It's, it's obviously based on the Anastasia mm. story, but resolved in a way I've never seen it resolved before. The other thing that's really interesting is the young, the kind of romantic lead is played by Enrique Rivero, who a few years later was the lead in Cocteau's Blood of a Poet. Ah. Um, so two more contrasting films I can't really imagine. Oh, fascinating. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The last thing I want to ask you about is the social dimension. So obviously I was very jealously following all of your Facebook posts and so on, and it seemed kind of glamorous, people dressed up, and, <laughs> you know, and there were parties and so on. So. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so the, there's a there's always a gala on the, the this, this year it was the Friday night where you know fancy dress or formal dress is is is, is optional and, and a lot but a lot of people do 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 dress up and there was a a kind of party afterwards in the in the cinema and that that was great fun. There was a uh, they had a what they called the, the Hipfest Hub where which was a, a cafe that opened up in conjunction with the with the festival. And they were open one one evening for a speakeasy, and you bring your own bottle, and and that that, that was great for. So it's the kind of event where it, there is a lot of social life, and it's even if you go there not knowing anyone, you, you will you will meet people there. Mm. Wonderful. So a wonderful combination of yeah, I suppose scholarship, yeah, kind yeah, of bringing in new stuff in in new ways, uh, which also jives, I suppose, with you know the typical film fan or aficionado of of silent films 
uh, and then with this local and, and international dimension. So. Exactly, yeah. And, and with the, I did, there's just one more film that I want to talk about, which is talking of the international dimension, which really a lot of people felt was the highlight, which was uh, a film called In Spring um, from 1929, which was a, a Ukrainian documentary. So it's, it was kind of a city symphony uh, filmed in Kyiv mm. um, and directed by uh, Mikhail Kaufman, who was the brother of Ziga Vertov and um, was the cinematographer of Man with the Movie Camera. Really, really good film and, and sort of very, you know, obviously the fact it's filmed in Kyiv has a very contemporary resonance, but um, e- even without that, it was it was a great film. And the soundtrack was also excellent because it was uh, two Ukrainian musicians, um, Misha Kalinin and Roxana Smunova, mm. who had composed a new score for this, which had been performed at a couple of festivals last year. And they flew in from Ukraine to to perform this live, you know, the, the the thing was introduced by the Ukrainian consul in Edinburgh. I mean, it's a very very big event. But he, even without all those clearly very important resonances, it still would have been a great film and a, and a great score. And there's actually a performance of it on YouTube that we can we can link, link to so people definitely. can see that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I think a, a last comment also. I love the way the program is designed, really. Uh, so it's mm. very easy to navigate. And again, I'm just sorry that I couldn't uh, join you this year, uh, but I definitely hope to be there next year. Yeah, uh, well, that'd be that'd be great because there was a previous years has been an award for the best shot window display, and this year it was an award for the best review uh, posted during the festival. Paul Joyce uh, from I, I Thank You Arthur won um, won that award very deservedly. He's done some great blog posts on this, with the runner-up being a TikTok video. But I'm pretty <laughs> much convinced if we'd actually done this podcast during the festival itself we would we would have won and we would have been presented with our award by, by the, 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 queen, the queen of the bonus fair which clearly would have been been great so well, next year we'll have to do that yes yeah, something to look forward to all yeah. right thank you very much for listening we are thinking aloud about film i'm jose i'm richard bye-bye bye all the tales of the West We'll remember best For Rusty and Private Rent and Tim